It's episode 65 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Fien. Today on the program is my old friend, Matthew Rex. He was head of revenue at Typekit and then ran Adobe Fonts for six years. Now he serves on the board of directors of the Unicode Consortium. We're going to talk about Apple's recent announcement that user-installable fonts are finally coming to iOS. Matthew, thank you for being on the program. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. What a treat. I was practicing this uh, this introduction uh, before we started our call here, and I kept saying over and over again, Unicorn Consortium. <laughs> and that it's would just not make, entirely untrue. <laughs> it would make my daughter incredibly happy if you were a director at the Unicorn Consortium. It's what, that's what my kids think I do also. <laughs> They think I'm in charge of emoji um, because that's what I've told them. It makes me very both powerful and relevant to their <laughs> interests. <laughs> um, so, but um, yeah, the Unicode Consortium um, is a really amazing um, and fascinating group of people, uh, an organization with a history that goes back more than 30 years in uh, defining really the very, I like to say it's the bottom of the stack yeah, yeah for how the internet works i mean in a and, in a yeah. in a very like very briefly uni- unicode a unicode <laughs> i'm not gonna get this right <laughs> unicode is essentially when i press a key i know what key i'm what letter is going to appear on the screen like it's that very low level for every language in the world and every glyph and all of that right like it is it is but actually you unicode is is uh a really surprising thing in that it's a nonprofit mission-driven organization whose goal is not to solve the problems of uh, technologists and big multinational companies like Google, Microsoft, and Apple. Mm. But it's about providing equal access to technology for all of the people of the world who need it in order to communicate. And if you think about it, the benefits of the internet come first to the people in the places where the world's largest companies are, like mm. Google, Apple, yep. Microsoft, Adobe, and stuff like that. And the benefits come last to the places where those companies aren't. There's no commercial interest in digitizing languages in indigenous places or in places where there are no computers. And the folks who started uh, Unicode and who run it today, notably Mark Davis, the CEO, um, who I think is one of the people on the planet who's most responsible for the global success of, of Unicode, uh, a man who I'm, I'm really fortunate to be working with in the organization today, have, have taken these steps to ensure that the commercial interest in the Internet isn't the only thing ensuring that the Internet is a global phenomenon. Yeah. And that is a really uh, important thing. So it's, it's more than just emoji. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Um, and, and like, we'll get to the to the rumors and everything about Apple in a minute here. But but um, while we were at Adobe and you were kind of running the type group and merging TypeKit into all of that, uh, there was also an effort underway within the Adobe type group to uh, collaborate with, I think it was Google and a couple other of these big companies to make essentially the most complete uh, typeface in history, right? Yeah, and we did that, actually. That was another um, real privilege that I've enjoyed, um, you know, in, in, in part thanks to you and your colleagues and the accomplishments of our uh, work together. 
while we were working together at Adobe, um, Google started a project called Noto, the Noto project. That's short for no tofu. Tofu is the name for that little square that you see when a character is missing oh. from the font that you're using. And Google's no tofu project, Noto, was intended to create a, a typeface family that would be useful, usable um, by the widest, pop, uh, widest possible population of people globally, including the Chinese, Japanese, and Korean CJK languages, where it's incredibly expensive to develop a typeface. In the West, where we use uh, Latin character sets, you can get a pretty good typeface out of just a few thousand glyphs. In the East, where you use um, I- Asian character sets, it's tens of thousands. Right. So, you know, many thousands of times the complexity in a typeface over there. It takes a company like Google with their resources, uh, to time, money, and patience to get together companies like, like Adobe and all the vendors that we hired and managed to develop a project like that. And, and we did. We released um, a typeface that Google called Noto. Adobe's version is called Source. Um, and the, uh, the, the, that typeface is, in fact, the largest typeface made in history, as far as we know, going back to Gutenberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, that's cool, because in our business, you and I have talked about this before, we don't get to work on stuff that hangs around very long. None of the bulletin board systems that I made in my 20s are still up and running. For better or worse, I guess. Some of them probably should have gone down a long time, a long time before they did. But even the websites, you know, they last three to five years. And one has the sense that type lasts a lot longer um, than than the web. Um, And that's uh, one of the things that gives me the feeling that I want to stay in the type business uh, a long time um, because I've come to crave as I age, I've come to crave that sense of permanence and longevity Mm. um, that comes both from the work itself and from the people. uh, Many of whom you meet have careers lasting 20 or 30 years in the business, which is also hard to find in the web. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cool. That's great. Um, I should probably do a whole other show just on uh, Unicode and, and all of that. It's super, super interesting. But today I want to talk about uh, the announcement at WWDC, Apple's developer conference yes. last week. Uh, did you watch the keynote? Yeah, I did. Um, I um, I watched it after it aired. I didn't get to watch right. it live. But I did as well. Quite an affair. Oh my God, it is. Um, and interesting and, and exciting. Like I enjoy that stuff. Um, I like watching those and I like how other companies have sort of tried to replicate that experience too with, you know, what Google does, uh, with IO, right. Isn't that what it's called? Um, and, um, yeah, you know, things like that. Um, but I, I don't know. What do you think about a, a spending a thousand dollars on a monitor stand? You know, I, I'm, I, I can, I can manage to be both a fan and a skeptic at, in the same keynote. Um, <laughs> that really, um, I heard the gasp in the audience and uh, I, felt I, it I realized in my gut. <laughs> yeah, like, oh. it really brought on a, a t- terrible sense of, uh, cringe and, and, uh, awkwardness. Um, I, th- I, th- as soon as they put the diagram up of the insides of the thing, you did get the sense that this uh-huh. was not just any stand. No, right. 
it it I think that if it plugged in, they might have had a better chance of selling <laughs> selling it at the price that they did. <laughs> Leaving the cord off was a big strategic mistake. I think if it had an IP address, <laughs> it um, <laughs> might have had a better shot <laughs> at commanding the price. Yes. But um, for something without something that you can't send a tweet from, I think that price is hard to defend. That I was mean, they crazy. they make you know they make some of the world's most capable computers at a lower price but you know in a pro um, environment these are very different customer segments and one of the things that I've learned from working in type where uh, and being in Adobe where I move in back and forth between um, uh, a segment of um, of people who are really focused on a mass market consumer audience and the type industry the professionals in which are really a highly specialized, trained, and almost an academic um, kind of community. It's very hard to see between, see through those walls sometimes. Mm. And I think one of the things that you're seeing here is that it's hard to see between the walls of the consumer side of Apple and the pro side, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where that stand must, it just must fill a need, um, uh, I guess, uh, on, on, the, on the pro side. Otherwise, they wouldn't have invested in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I, I can't help but think it was a matter of framing where you, where, where you could have said like the monitor costs $6,000 or you can get it for 5000 if you don't need the stand. W- would have just been, I, I think you wouldn't have got the gaffs and the moan and, and the, the, the meme all over the social media of a guy standing in front of a empty monitor stand with the price, you know, next to it. Posted everywhere, but anyway, I don't look. Leave me alone with that thing. Give me a sales quota for it, and you'll sell. Um, it. I'll sell it. <laughs> but I, I just need a little bit of time. Look, I'm sitting. I'm sitting in a nine hundred dollar chair. Um, I I wouldn't have thought that was possible at a certain point in my career. <laughs> so <laughs> it must be possible. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it, it's it's um, it's just the other side of the monitor is all. Um, yeah, there must be a reason for it. Must be. Um, speaking of audience reaction, the it's always interesting to see like what the crowd goes nuts for. Like, for example, Xbox controllers working with I or with Apple TV, and the place goes wild. Fonts in iOS, pin drop. It's just <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and Craig, the 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 senior vice president of software or whatever, he he waited. He gave them he an was opportunity. Looking for He's it. like yeah. fonts in iOS, nothing. Silence crickets. Now, I wonder if he could hear my head hit my desk in that moment. <laughs> yeah, probably somebody from all the way from northeastern New Jersey to, to uh, San Francisco. I think the sound could be heard echoing through the canyons <laughs> and the hills of my head hitting my desk from the giant disappointment um, of the reaction to yeah. that. Yeah. And I've been writing and talking about the lack of reaction to it. Um, I gave a talk last night at uh, at uh, Cooper Union in New York as part of the typographics nice. conference yep. called um, "The Secret Life of Fonts," and, and part of my talk was really about what, what you know why isn't type um, better understood, acknowledged, celebrated in our media and in uh-huh. our culture? And I had a bunch of slides on the um, the failure of the media, first of all, to acknowledge the leak when the leak came out. Um, which um, you and I shared a nod about uh, back in March, I think. March or April, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. Nobody picked it up. Nobody mentioned it. And uh, if we could just rewind even 
before that and talk for a moment about the fact that we're now, I think, 10 years into the iPad, a device which has really created a new category of computer, revolutionized productivity for a lot of people, become a totally new way for people to entertain themselves. Children have come up learning how to use computers that never would have had that experience. My kid's first computer was an iPad. I have a video of him using it at 18 months old. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah. And this entire category existed without fonts. There were no fonts on iOS through the entire history of this device. And nobody really talked about it except for you and me and about, you know, 900 other people in the, in the type industry. And, and, and somehow that was okay. Then the rumor was published in the trade press, and that was ignored. Nobody mentioned it, even in the type industry. I, I, nobody noticed it. Um, and I couldn't get anybody to pay attention to it. There was one thread about it um, in one of the, the type industry message boards, it, which was, um, you know, very, very, had a very meager amount of attention paid to it. And then the announcement came out, and I still don't think people are, are aware um, that um, it's happened. So there's a couple possibilities. One is that uh, you and I are the only people who think it matters, and uh, we could be right or we could be wrong about that. And, um, you know, the other is that in, in, the, um, in the broader um, culture and in the, in the um, grand scheme of um, the app store and the third-party app development community, people have moved on and the moment is lost or something, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like to think about it that way, but I think that there, that possibility should at least be acknowledged. There's no real precedent, I think, for typography just simply not being present in the ecosystem yeah. Yeah. for this long. Um, and, um, you know, I don't think there's that much evidence to back that up. I think that this is just, uh, you know, we've been in kind of a point nine for the iPad for a long time. Apple has, a, I think, a, history of taking a really long time to get to a 1.0. Yeah. Um, I like to remind people that the iPhone shipped with no copy and paste. Right. And <laughs> took a long time to get there. <laughs> so um, the fonts are somewhere, you know, in between copy and paste and uh, a, a full-featured web browser. Well, and, and to that end, on, on the iPad, um, one of the announcements that Apple made at the at the conference was that they're uh, they're splitting the operating system between iOS and and iPad OS. Um, yes, so that they can now function or, or focus more on this like this bigger screen and the multitasking and things like that. And and so one of my questions was, does that mean no fonts on the iPhone? Um, that is such a weird question. <clears throat> not not for you to ask, but it's the, the it, so that's a, such a weird question to contemplate. Right. Um, I, I can't quite locate the um, meaning of an of a fontless iPhone. No, um, I was using Keynote on my iPhone on stage in front of 200 people yesterday. It seemed like it would have been really nice to have the fonts there yeah. at the time uh, and not have them missing. Uh, the whole, I, I think, a really good place to look if you want to understand the significance of a, the pre-font and the post-font iOS era will be um, when you, you know, if you think about the experience of opening a document. And right now, anytime you open a document on iOS, you get a missing fonts warning. <laughs> and it's a really 
um, Orwellian warning because there's nothing you can do about it. It's just a warning. <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a RoboCop warning. You know? it's, <laughs> um, in the future, um, the uh, warning will come with a resolution where you can fix the missing fonts yeah. and get get the fonts that are missing. But um, for that warning to remain a warning on iOS, it was hasn't been addressed in the announcements, as far as I can tell. Right. There's no mention made of it in the developer documentation, yeah. um, as far as I can see. But the way that I like to think about it, because it helps me stay warm, <laughs> is that <laughs> iPad OS is a marketing um, is a marketing term that helps position iPad Pro as a pro device and helps provide a locus for the rapidly improving relevance of iPad Pro mm-hmm. to to pro workflows, particularly for creative professionals. And beyond marketing, it probably gives them the opportunity to diverge the release schedules as well. So that just one iOS doesn't have to, or one giant operating system doesn't have to come out every other year or every year rather, but they can do the iPad at a different pace and things like that, I would imagine. Something like yeah, that. Maybe, but, yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's a possibility, too. Could be. All right. I, got, I want to talk about some of the mechanics around this and certainly about how it's going to affect the business. But we're going to do some business ourselves here um, and take a little break uh, and talk about our friends over at Moo. Um, Moo does the online uh, print and design of business cards and so much more. You, Matthew, uh, quit your job recently, started out on your own. I imagine you had to get some business cards because that's still very important. I did. I did. I'm still finalizing the design, but I've been mocking them up with Moo, uh, and I'm a oh, big fan you? of. Yes, I have. Oh, yeah, they have great. really great. They have really great tools for this. And one of my type designer buddies uh, turned me on to their um, uh, to one of their ultra high end uh, stock options that is like a four ply um, paper. Um, that that he showed me that really looks like a million dollars. I have spent time over at the Moo offices. They are insanely focused on uh, making things both accessible to anybody, so a uh, both high quality and low cost, but also just high end stuff. There's just gorgeous stuff all over their office, and some of the products that they're working on now are just uh, are going to be very very impressive. Um, the uh, the the issue here is that you don't want to get caught out not having a business card, which you probably did at your talk last night when people came up to talk to you. You had no cards because you're fussing with the design forever. I did, and <laughs> also I'm 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 such a loser um, that, I, that I that I did have no business cards, and that's something that I've always coached people to never to never do. All right, I'll, um, I'll let I, you off the hook. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, now uh, with Moo, you can be. Uh, both prepared and show your creativity by having business cards with you all the time. Um, like I said, great design is at the heart of what Moo does. The quality of Moo's business cards is seriously one of a kind. Uh, like you were saying, they have special finishes like gold foil, raised spot gloss. Uh, you can even have them do letterpress for you. Um, they're totally unique uh, and help you stand out from the crowd. So it's great to see your hard work on screen, but it's even better to hold it in your hand. Um, but if you're not into designing your own card, they've got beautiful new templates, uh, a whole bunch of new ones, in fact, that just came out for business cards, drawing inspiration from trends that they see among their most creative customers. Um, and uh, even though business cards are their core product, they have a full suite of products, including postcards, invitations, letterhead, stickers, flyers, uh, a lot, so you can promote yourself, your brand, your event, anything. Um, they also, just finally here, make a amazing notebooks 
now, uh, both hardcover and softcover. So, um, Here's the deal. If you're not familiar with Moo, you can order a free sample pack and they'll send you a bunch of all of their different stuff so you can see the quality firsthand. Uh, 15% off since you're listening to this program. Uh, if you spend $50 or more, go to Moo.com and use the code PRINTMOO, P-R-I-N-T-M-O-O. That's PRINTMOO for 15% off when you spend $50 or more at Moo.com. Thanks to Moo for support of Presentable and all of Relay FM. All right. You know, I have that sample pack right here in front of me. Um, I ordered one for a project that I was working on for a client, and it is really compelling. You really get an amazing sense for the quality of the paper. There's there's no comparison between um, the quality of the paper and the stock that you get from Moo. That's great. Versus what you get from some of the other printers. It's yeah. Top, top of the line. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. Good. Um, all right. So fonts uh, are going to be working in iOS or iPadOS, I guess we're assuming, uh, at, at least for now. Um, my understanding is, let me see, I've got some notes here in front of me. There'd be a new font panel in the system settings where you should be able to like manage fonts, then a standard font picker that, that app developers can use in their apps. Right. And so that's at least a mechanism. That's a very weird thing about all of this. And there are a few weird things about it, but one of the weird things is the standard font picker. Um, the, from a review of the, um, the video that, there was a session at WWDC on this, and from oh, the review of that, that. And, the, right. and the and the uh, the developer documentation, here's something I, I learned, and and I, and I write about this a little bit in a blog post at at my website uh, bizlet.org, B-I-Z-L-E-T dot org. We'll plug it at the end, and I'll put a link to all of this in the show notes as well. So definitely okay. get it's, people. This over is there. a little bit complicated, but let me see if I can try to read it out because I think it's it's really interesting. In in a, in a so you have a font picker that's a system font picker, right? Meaning if you have a, um, an iPad app that you want to allow the user to select fonts, you have to be able to show a font menu. Everybody's familiar with a font menu. You click on the list of fonts and it drops down a list. And the iPad one is fairly robust. It's got a search and some other filters and stuff that mm-hmm. allow you to, to choose the list. But if you're an app developer and you want, let's say you're Adobe, and you want to build a really robust font picker, like the one that appears in, I don't know, Photoshop today, right. which has a bunch of features in it. You, you, you have designers working on a, a customized um, version of that that's not the standard Windows or Mac OS font pick, picker. And it turns out on iPad OS, that's not going to be possible because of the way that font installs are sandboxed by mm. the OS. Each app, installs fonts into the OS in a sandbox and it can see a list of its own fonts and it can see a list of system fonts that came pre-installed, but it can't see fonts installed by other apps. Ah. So that means as a practical matter, all of the apps, at least in the, the way that the iPad OS is being described right now, all the apps are going to have the same font menu. And that's disappointing to me. Um, because I think that font menus and font exploration are really important mm. for advancing the way that, you know, I, I, I think that generally typography and type don't enjoy the prominence they deserve in our culture and in the minds of users. And I think they haven't gotten as much attention from app developers as they should. Partially that's because of licensing, but you know, we've done a lot of work on that in the last 10 years. And I love to see that put that stuff pushed forward. Mm-hmm. 
And the font menu that we have, the defaults in all the operating systems is not the way to do that. You know, there are much better ways to do that. And uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be seeing that in the first version of iPad OS, which is which is a disappointment. Are you talking about like font discovery or yes, things like that? Exactly, like now, isn't that exactly you could think of that as being sort of a pre-purchase activity where like websites, well, like what we did with Typekit or what some of the foundries have done in, in exceedingly well done um, in like how you navigate a few thousand fonts to find exactly the one that you want to buy. But um, sure, you right. can, and you'll. There's nothing to stop me as a type foundry, for example from making a website that has all my fonts on it and having customers navigate that selection there and then selling them a font and sending it over to iPad OS and then installing it there and then having it appear in the font list. Right, right, right. I got tired just saying that though. That just <laughs> wore, it just wore me out, Jeff. I think the much the much more seamless experience would be to have all of that happen right in the font, in the um, in the font picker. Uh, and that's the way, for example, that it works in the Creative Cloud ecosystem today, more or less, is the whole experience of discovery, selection, and installation all happen seamlessly. Yeah. Um, and I would like to see uh, Adobe bring all of that right into Photoshop, for example, sure. on iPad OS. Um, Photoshop for iPad OS is another thing that's been announced and has not gotten as much attention as I would have expected. It was announced at Adobe Max last year. In October, yep. and um, I haven't really seen it bit, much attention paid to it in the context of of the story of the iPad. But you know, when I look at the iPad, I see a device that is a very, very capable. Um, you know, I, I see three things in graphic design: photography, illustration, and typography. I don't see a fourth thing, and I see a very capable photography device. I see illustration coming along quickly with another project going on at Adobe that's, that's also already been announced. Mm-hmm. And it's really just the typography that's, that's missing. When those three things come together, I see the potential for iPad's relevance as a professional design tool to really skyrocket. Yeah. Um, and um, so I've been, wa- you know, I've been waiting uh, quite a while to see that stuff come together uh, and to, to find out if what we're looking at is really the next form factor for personal computing. And for me, it's not that I'm so excited about being able to sell fonts in iPad OS. I've sold enough fonts in my career. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm good there. <laughs> I think that's fine. Um, what I'm excited about is the idea that the final barriers to the next form factor for personal computing could be coming down. And that when those problems can be solved, we could have both the iPad and Surface together. Um, could fig- they could be figuring that out together, and we could be getting a generational breakthrough mm-hmm. in how we use computers. Um, our friend Koi Vin has written about this quite a bit and very elegantly and comprehensively on his blog, Subtraction.org, um, where he talks about his experiments trying to work as a designer on tablets and how. Um, you know, painfully close, he thinks it is to the day where we'll have uh, a a new paradigm for personal productivity for designers. And I think that that's very exciting because, again, those, when you get to be my age, you're looking for those kinds of um, uh, evolutions mm-hmm. in, in the way the technology is maturing. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, you mentioned there in that description of like Photoshop uh, seamlessly sort of browsing fonts and having them be installed and things like that. 
I have I have a sense here from what I've been looking at that the fonts are coming through the App Store, and that seems like a huge deal if our experience with Typekit and licensing and foundries and the way they think about the sales of their intellectual property, like the idea that like, uh, yeah, you can have fonts, but they're coming through Apple. Apple's taking their 30% and they're going to be presented in the App Store however Apple likes. Well, I think when they said through the App Store, I think they meant through apps from the App Store. Are you sure? Uh, uh, one can never be sure of anything <laughs> when <laughs> okay. it comes I, to Apple. I thought there'd be a new category in the App Store that was uh, that was just all, just all the typefaces, and you'd have to browse no. using that. Okay, so, that, so you do some of imagine. us were quite worried about that. that you can and go I, to. I lost some sleep about it. Okay. It's a little more than imagining. I mean, I did I did get into the developer documentation, and I watched the video, and um, there's there's a link to the the video um, yeah. on on my blog, and you can sit there and watch it, and I think I have the time code in there, um, but uh, it does describe exactly how to build an app that installs. Uh, a font and it, it uses as, as an example, an independent developer, uh, sorry, an independent, an independent type foundry, uh, that, um, has an app that's going to install a font that was purchased by a customer. So that is the specific model that seems to be being described. So that at least is, uh, at the very least resolves one of the worries, uh, from the keynote, which was that there were just five giant type foundries it on. certainly seems right, to, just morisawa yes. and monotype and adobe and like nobody else gets to sell fonts so that's obviously not the case let's let's say it certainly seems to resolve that although i i wrote quite a bit about you know my worries that that seemed to be the case after viewing the keynote and the placement of those logos as a business development guy i would not have put them there if that's not what i intended to communicate exactly but that's contraindicated so so completely by what's in the um in the other videos and by what's in the developer documentation that that you know me along with a number of other uh of our of our colleagues um including um our friend david demery from google who's given it all such a a much more thorough reading than i have and tweeted extensively about it there's also a thread from him that i've linked to um right that that that, um goes into this uh, I think I think the the um, prudent conclusion is that Apple's intention is and and it, this makes a lot of sense. It enables a model where, as an independent font vendor, I can sell fonts on my website and not pay Apple for that. However, if I sell the fonts in my app, I do pay Apple for those. It's basically, an in-app purchase. It's that would be an in-app purchase, right. and that's and that that goes along with the Spotify model and all the other e-commerce models that Apple has established for other sales, sure. digital content, media subscriptions, everything you want. It it kind of rhymes with. Now, there are some weird things about fonts and the way that Apple manages the fonts that are sold that way that are fascinating. If you're a student of digital content, um, the, you know Apple is, treats fonts as executables that are. Um, being loaded in by the app, so you can't. You, you have to submit with the app a manifest of all the fonts that that app might install mm. at any point in the future. Uh-huh. And anytime you change the fonts that it might load in the future, you have to rev the app and submit it for App Store approval. Oh. Um, yeah, th- that's a big deal for a lot of third-party providers. Uh, you know, like the one that I used to run that manages a library of thousands and thousands and thousands of fonts. 
um, because Goodness, yeah, yeah, that yeah. library is changing all the time. It means that they'll have to go to a periodic release schedule for the app. And um, it um, is said that that requirement is for privacy. And this is really interesting. Um, it's said that the list of fonts installed on the user's device is uh, can be used by a malicious app as a fingerprint that could be used to track that user. Sure across the internet. And that's funny because that's shouldn't say it's funny, but it's unusual to look at a list of fonts and see a privacy vulnerability there. <clears throat> there is either a Hardy boys or an encyclopedia Brown <laughs> book <laughs> story. I can't remember which in which the ransom note is typed on a keyboard on a, on a uh, typewriter where one of the letters is off a little bit and they match and track down. It might be Scooby-Doo. They match and they track down the, uh, the, uh, the villain by that, and it's a little bit like that kind of a story for how they're trying to Apple is trying to prevent a privacy vulnerability. Well, that's been going on for quite some time with web browsers, just on websites, right? That you it can is. you can query the the browser for what fonts are installed and use that to build, as well as a bunch of other settings that essentially gets you to a relatively unique fingerprint for your browser. So even if you have cookies shut off and everything, they can you can still be tracked from site to site. So yeah. I think Apple is trying to close that down um, in Safari on on the Mac, uh, and I think Chrome is working on Google's working on that with Chrome as well to to be able to stop doing that. But uh, and I think Apple's just going to say, and it's never going to happen on iOS. So um, so yeah, there's some sandboxing and things like that for how you can actually get to what the fonts are and things. So. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah, so they they have locked that down in a way that is um, going to. Uh, reduce the convenience, uh, to say the least, for um, for some publishers and resellers and things like that. But it just brings them to parity with, I think, uh, uh, what a lot of other app uh, vendors are dealing with when they when they have to, you know, manage a release schedule and quality assurance and yeah, for things sure. like that. For so sure, it's it's really a question of how big is the market going to be <laughs> for fonts on the on the OS and how do you monetize the um, the channel, um, because to, to go all the way back to the beginning, there's something like half a billion iPads out there. And, you know, what if, if we look across the, uh, the market for type, generally speaking, building a business selling fonts at retail, meaning not to enterprises, not for volume licenses, not for custom font design, not, not to brands, but, you know, to regular consumers, that's hard. It's not a great way to make money. Nobody is really making a ton of money doing that. And the companies that are supposed to be doing that for their primary business are trying to find other ways to make money, basically, mm. as you and I well know. Mm. What remains to be seen is whether the iPad, because of its captive audience and because of the App Store frictionless mechanics and because of the incredible concentration of creative-minded people that are holding those devices and the frictionless way in which content creation apps can be pushed into their hands and the very low price at which apps seem to be able to be created and, yeah. and delivered to them, can that change? Hmm. Because if it can change the economics of buying and selling type in any way, from what it currently is on the desktop, then it's going to change all the the, the economics of distribution at at the um, at on the supply side. 
of yeah. things. Yeah. And that'll be very, very interesting. I'm not saying I necessarily believe that's going to happen. I am saying that I hope it's going to happen <laughs> because the economics of it today totally suck. Yeah. It's so a terrible way to make a living. So, and it appears from, again, some of the documentation and from some of the things uh, David Demery was posting on Twitter that um, the, the apps themselves can enforce licensing rules, which gives us this opportunity of like, you can do a subscription through an app for fonts on iOS. It seems that way. Um, I, I, I did, did, yeah, David, David wrote that. And I think that he was pointing out that it seems that the apps will be free to turn on and off fonts. Right. Um, as they like. He also pointed out that Apple was probably free to write their own playbook for what's permitted and not. Apps will be, have to be submitted for App Store review, of course, and right. they'll, be, they'll have their own, you know, one imagines that Apple has their own teams of App Store reviewers a- a- allocated to each category of app that are experts in their, in their you know, sandboxes of things. So, um, so, yeah, I imagine you could have subscriptions and libraries and things like that. Um, and a thousand flowers can bloom there. So we'll see what works. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, what, uh, gets traction. Yeah. Now I'm still, I still feel just a little confused on the, on the, do you, do you think you hypothesize that this might be the only way to get a font onto the system? Like they now, they also announced, for example, being able to plug in external storage. Right. Or and as well as a download manager for Safari, which are two other ways that we typically install fonts. You download them and um, and the browser just says, do you want to install this font? Uh, or I you know, plug in my hard drive of thousands and thousands of perfectly legally licensed fonts. <laughs> and I want to. Oh, you have that one, huh? Yeah, yeah, that one. I want to install all of those on my iPad. I've got them. I paid for them. For example, there was a woman. There was a woman at my talk last night that had one of those too. I wonder if you have the same one. That same hard drive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really long USB cable. Um, no, I don't think you're going to be installing fonts that way. I highly doubt it. Yeah. Apple's yeah. Apple's approach to these fonts seems to me to be to treat them as trusted code and in the same way that the app that the apps are, yep. tra- are treated as trusted code yep, yep. once they are reviewed um, through the app store so what i envision happening and you know this is not this is not based on what i learned from working with apple when i was at adobe this is just based on my review of the um the video and the documentation um what i envision happening is i envision the apps getting submitted um, for app store review with the apps, you have to submit a manifest, meaning a yeah, list of the fonts yeah. that you expect uh, th- that the app will be permitted to load along with the binary data of the fonts themselves. Right. Then I imagine the, bi- the fonts will have to be validated that they'll get run through checkers uh, on the server side. And I believe that Apple will write what may be the first ever essentially font virus checker, you know, that, that will, I mean, we we had some of this technology. That. Yeah, I was just going to say this sounds very Adobe. much like submitting to the fonts to Typekit back back when we were there. Sure, sure, yeah. and there's pl- there's plenty of that knowledge at Adobe. I think um, you know there is a lot of frustration out in the community now about this process and this decision that's been made by Apple, which seems to people to be arbitrary and. I think the word that was used by one of my colleagues is stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> because why not just let the device do the checking and so on and so forth? And 
And I guess the point that I want to make about that is that Apple has, you know, one of the top type teams in the world. It's every bit as capable, probably, as the team at Adobe was. Maybe um, it's a close second. And uh, I think they know their operating system very well, and they're they have more to lose from um, concerns about both security and and performance um, threats to the stability of the system from fonts are another thing that they ought to be worried about. So I think that they've taken this approach out of those out of those concerns, and it, it I think they they've done that because they want to build an operating system here that is more stable and more secure than any has ever been. And again, this is completely, I'm completely extrapolating here. This is not me interpreting anything that I've been told. So, uh, and I think that that's, that's a, a wise goal. You know, fonts are a open type fonts are a 20 year old, um, file format that wasn't interpret, you know, that weren't interpreted, weren't intended, uh, or expected to maybe they were expected to have this kind of lifespan, but they're really getting pressed into some pretty difficult work here. Um, so the approach makes some sense to me. And it's also, I think, a, a 1.0 approach that is um, going to, um, <laughs> I am just so happy um, to see, I will be so happy to see a font menu uh, on the device and to be, to, ha- to just to see what we can do. I know that you must be rubbing your hands together um, <laughs> because you are by far the, the biggest keynote nerd in uh, on the continent, whichever continent you happen to be on. You, you must be excited about trying to get, see if you can do keynote work. Uh, I, yes. And I've also just resigned myself to always dragging my uh, MacBook with me everywhere. But, um, you but yeah, you, you, you I, have a hard time imagining achieving a necessary level of productivity. Yeah. 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 I was listening to you talk about achieving your flow state in, <laughs> um, when working on keynote, uh, docs in one of the previous episodes of your podcast. And, um, again, I, I just, to go back to the why about fonts, I, I do love fonts and I know that you're a typography maven also, and it's great to love typography. Um, it's a beautiful thing to, to know and care about. And yeah. it really elevates your level of appreciation for the arts and for commercial communications, particularly, um, but for all of graphic design, it makes you so much more sensitive to great graphic design. Mm. However, I think the reason that you and I are here today is because it is a giant obstacle in the, in, in, to, to progress in personal computing right now that, that the capabilities that we need in order to get our work done uh, ha- have, have been sitting here between us and, um, and uh, setting type in matching, you know, being able to use fonts in the way that we need to use them. So seeing some of those obstacles start to evaporate um, are really exciting. And it feels like uh, you can almost see the sun rising uh, out there. It would be pretty, would be pretty cool. There was a, there was a fundamental principle that we used to guide us through the design of Typekit, the business model, the, the application, the whole experience. And that was that we wanted to separate the creative decisions from the business decisions when you're doing design and that you should be in that flow state and you should have a palette of typography that you should be able to use however you like without having to stop 
and make a decision as to whether this is worth $149 or this is worth $270 and have that be part of the equation when you're trying to get exactly the right um, uh, solution for the problem that you're designing for. And, um, and I think that that's what led us into the subscription model, the idea that you should have a library and you should have all access to that library and that the business decision is something that just sits on a balance sheet somewhere that happens every month. Um, and, uh, and that was always our goal to, to be able to separate those two functions into a world of creativity. And then sometimes, you know, a reckoning for a, uh, you know, for an invoice, but not at the same time. I think that you're absolutely right about that. And I'm, I'm, um, terribly proud of what we accomplished in reducing some of the barriers Mm. to using type in a really easy and convenient way with, with Typekin, which is now called Adobe fonts. Um, and it's only gotten easier, you know, in, in the eight years since Typekit was acquired by Adobe. It's one of the few stories that I'm aware of. Um, somebody came up to me and said, you know, this is really one of the few stories that I'm aware of where um, the company was acquired and somehow made the acquiring company better instead of <laughs> the acquiring company making the little company worse. Um, yeah, so I'm, I am pleased about that. However, about type, you know, it's still the case where if somebody sits down to make something, you know, I sat down to make this presentation for the talk that I gave last night. And there was a particular font that I wanted to use for it. And I'm going to, you know what, this, this designer, this type designer, he was just a real jerk to me on Twitter. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him. I'm going to go and buy a typeface from him and use it in this presentation. That's the kind of jerk I am. So I went to his website to buy the typeface. And to buy the family, it would have been $500. Yeah. And it, it had this whole raft of setting aside the pricing, the pricing for a second. The, the page to buy the... Um, to buy the license was incredible. I mean, it had all these rights and uses and it came with a web font license and there was embedding and all this other stuff that came with it. And I can't think of anything else in the world where somebody who was trying to do the kind of thing that I was trying to do. And in this moment, I was just a, a guy trying to make a thing. You know, I wasn't trying to broadcast it. I wasn't trying to, you know, profit from it. I wasn't trying to replicate it. I wasn't trying to deconstruct his design. I wasn't trying to modify it. I was just trying to make a thing with it, the basic, the most basic use of it conceivable. Mm. It's not the price that I'm taking issue with. You should charge whatever you want for your work. Fonts are incredibly complicated to make. They take forever. It's incredibly expensive to make them. There's nothing else in the world that I can think of that, for that basic use, it's that complicated still. Yeah. And it's it's great that we did what we did with within Adobe and kind of in that walled garden, you can, you know, it's like buying V-Bucks <laughs> in, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, that, that video game that the kids are all playing. It's great that you can do that there and buy stuff with the virtual currency. It's like V-Fonts, you know. <laughs> but outside of that closed world, we're still in a place where the ecosystem and the economy is really, really challenging. It's yeah. very difficult. It makes things really difficult for customers, and it really constrains the ability of people to make a living and to go to design school and to pay off their student loans. And that constrains the richness and the sophistication and the, of the art form, and it constrains the ability of the culture to celebrate it. And so there's still a real impedance mismatch mm-hmm. between the supply and demand there that... In a, 
I'm going to bring this all home here for you, Jeff. That in a way, <laughs> I think this iPad business has some potential to help unstick. But if we could pump a half a billion new consumers into the economy, maybe that could help unstick it. I know that's a long shot, but that's part. That's what I'm really in it for. Is the the hope that there's a new uh, supply of consumers. Absolutely. And I think, uh, to be honest, that bringing that over to iOS for the iPhone would be tremendous as well. Maybe that's something we can see in, in the future, but I see many, many examples of people doing amazing creative work on just on their phones. Um, even if, I they, don't, even yeah, if the output, I don't know why not, even if the output is just a, you know, a, a, a little, a little banner that they're putting on Instagram for their services or something like that. But there's so much interesting stuff happening there. Um, but again, like you said, Apple tends to do these things in a very measured and, and what sometimes we question this, but I, I believe a considered way. And there's always opportunities for them to iterate in the future. And I think they will. So, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's exciting. I think you're absolutely right that it opens up a tremendous opportunity for the type of industry. If we can, if they can embrace it. It does. I, I, I highly doubt if there's any, you know, if there's, a, if, if there is any uh, app store upside to iPad OS, meaning if iPad OS creates any better volume for mm-hmm. the app store, they're not going to keep it on the iPad. They're right. going to want to bring it to the iPhone yeah, where there's, so. what is it? 2 billion or 4 billion. Um, I forget what the figure is. Uh, it's a vastly larger audience. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, and I can only imagine that like something like this happens, and now all of a sudden in Google, they're like, well, Android's got to have this now. So there's the other billions to uh, to add to it. So we'll see. Yes, indeed. I hope you're right. Mm. We'll see. Well, this is great. I appreciate your perspective on all of this. It sounds like you're really deep in it um, and paying attention. Uh, Thank you. Any yeah, you wrote a great piece on it. I will link to that in the show notes. It's on your website, Bizlet, uh, Business Letters, uh, bizlet.org. Um, there's a link to that as well uh, in the show notes. And we can find you on Twitter at mrex, or I think as you like to pronounce it, Mr. X. It's M-R-E-C-H-S at Twitter. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, and you are uh, now without a job. I think that's pretty awesome. So uh, available for consulting in the type industry and coaching and whatnot, Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm doing coaching for graphic designers and type designers, helping them with their business skills, trying to uh, level up the way that they do business, get clients, make money, stuff like that. That's fantastic. I hope uh, I hope we can send a little business your way. It'd be good. I'd love that. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Matthew. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. What a blast. I really enjoyed it. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean and this was Presentable. Presentable.